0: Well, good morning. Okay, I've got to warn you guys about something. Next week, uh, service starts at 1030, right? Well, next week, you're going to need to get here a little bit earlier if, uh, if, if you want to get a seat because we're having an invite Sunday. And so many people are bringing their friends who just live in their world and... Um, who need Christ, who need prayer, who need encouragement, and so there's going to be many people here who are going to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel, and their lives are going to be changed, their, re, their eternal addresses are going to be rewritten, they're finally going to have hope. Now, I, I joke a little bit when I say, you, you need to get here earlier, you won't. Get a seat and I tell you I joke because in case you're a few minutes late, still come anyway. Don't just, you know, go down the street to the church of Christ building. But but come on and come. But bring somebody who needs Christ because we're going to be fasting for them or we're gonna be praying for them and we are going to plunder hell and populate heaven. And they're going to receive a touch from the Lord that deeply encourages their heart. So before we go any further, let me just pray for your friends and your family that God has placed in your life that their touch that their our hearts would be touched by the Holy Spirit, that you would have boldness, that you would have vision to see souls, that you would have a heart for them. Perhaps you're in a sluggish stupor where, where, where you're spiritually in a fog, where you can't see beyond your own circumstances, beyond your own house, beyond your own sorrows to the eternal plot or plight of the people in your life. So let me just pray that you may be awakened to the lostness of the world around you, and that would move you to action. Let me pray. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that every person here would have eyes to see the world the way you see it, and hearts to feel the world the way you feel it, and they would be burdened, and they would be broken, and they would be impassioned to reach out to one more soul so that hell is plundered, hopelessness is plundered, despair is plundered, And life in you is populated. In Jesus' name, amen. Why do you think it is that some saints don't fight the good fight and finish the race that was set before them? Paul said that. He was ready to check out. He was ready to go to heaven. He turned the world upside down. With the gospel, well actually it was already upside down, so when he turned it upside down it was, he was turning it right side up, but since it was upside down anyway, but you you get what I'm saying. He lived his entire life passionately following Christ, and he said at the end of his race, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I have finished the race. Why is it that some saints, I would say why is it that most saints don't finish the race that was set before them? Why is it that some saints get knocked down, and they stay down, and they don't get back up? Why is it that some saints can't see beyond their own weighty emotions? Why is it that some saints can't run with perseverance because they keep stumbling into some sluggish, lethargic fog? There's many reasons. Sin, sexual immorality, people get offended, and the list goes on and on. But I think that we can sum it up with this one word, focus. They lost their focus. And so as we wrap up today, we are wrapping up the book of Acts. We have been many months in the book of Acts. Next week we're beginning a new series on spiritual warfare, and I'm really excited about this series. I think it's going to enable you, empower you, equip you to walk in the freedom in which Christ has purchased for you. So, I'm really excited about this series on spiritual warfare that we're beginning next week. But so, let's wrap up this entire series on the book of Acts by summarizing it with this one word focus. The saints loved not their lives even unto death, and they turned the entire world upside down. They spread the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. The apostle Paul started one church after the next because they didn't lose their focus. Florence Chadwick was one of the greatest uh, U.S. open water swimmers. In fact, she swam the English Channel both ways, and I think uh, in a faster time than men or women. Well, she was on the Catalina Island um, and was going to swim the 26-mile trek into the California coastline. It was a marathon distance. And so, the weather was very cold, and a thick fog had set in, and... She began swimming. There were boats that were flanking her, and they had rifles, and they were shooting them into the water to scare away many sharks. And she couldn't see in front of her. And her mom was actually in one of the boats, and she kept telling her mom, Mom, I I can't go any further. I need to get into the boat. And her mom says, No, you just keep swimming. You've been swimming for 15 hours. We're almost there, but she couldn't see. And her mom said, You're almost there, keep going. And so finally she said, I I can't go on any longer, pull me up. So they pulled her into the boat, and then she realized that she was less than one mile away from the coastline. Well, two months later, she said, I'm gonna swim it again. And so she began swimming. Same conditions, cold water, a thicker fog than before set in. The boats were flanking, shooting into the water, scaring away sharks. She couldn't see a foot in front of her face, but she kept swimming, and she reached the coastline, and she set a world record by two hours, and the reporter said, how did you do it? What was the difference between this time and last time? And she said, the difference is every time I felt like giving up, I had a mental image of the coastline in my mind, and that allowed me to keep swimming faster. And I believe that when Christians grow weary and give up, Christians grow weary, weary, but when Christians grow weary and don't receive a second wind and give up, when Christians are not down and they stay down, when Christians can't see beyond their own lethargic, uh, cloudy, spiritual walk and callous... And numb heart. When Christians begin getting sluggish to the point that it sidelines them from the work of the ministry and from the body of Christ and from being passionate about seeking Him and making Him known, when Christians get sluggish, it's because they've lost their focus. John Piper wrote, I will tell you what tragedy is, and he writes of two people who lost their focus. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. At first, when I read it, I thought it might be a joke, a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life, before you give an account to your Creator, be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment, look Lord, see my shells? This is tragedy, and people today are spending billions and billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace this tragic dream. Over against that, I put my protest, don't buy it, don't waste your life. I wonder if you're distracted, or I wonder if you're focused. So today, as we wrap up the book of Acts, we're going to be talking about maintaining a a focus on fresh encounters with God. Maintaining a focus on fresh encounters with God. Second, we'll be talking about maintaining a focus on encouraging exchanges with each other. Encouraging exchanges with each other. And thirdly, we're going to talk about maintaining a focus for a passion for souls. And I believe this sums up the energy, the fuel, the fire behind the early apostles... They had a focus on fresh encounters with Jesus, on encouraging exchanges with one another, and on a passion for souls. The author of Hebrews writes, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Paul writes in Colossians, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Solomon writes in Proverbs, let your eyes look directly forward and let your gaze be straight before you. And Jesus said in Matthew, don't get distracted by everything that the world gets distracted by, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And Paul said in Romans 7 and Romans 8, that the life that's fueled with the power from on high through the Holy Spirit is focused, the mind is set on the Spirit, but the life that burns out... And falls down and stays down is the mind that has stayed on the flesh and the things of this world. So, let's begin. One, we must have a focus on fresh encounters with Jesus. On fresh encounters with Jesus. Have you had a fresh encounter with Jesus lately? If you haven't, I'll bet you, if you're not already... You're almost a statistic. You're, you're, you're in some sluggish, lethargic fog. And you don't see the world the way Jesus sees it. You don't feel the, the, the world the way Jesus feels it. You don't have a love for the body of Christ the way Jesus does. Because this is a result of fresh encounters with Jesus. Sometimes we pray, I need, I need vision, I need strength, I need wisdom, I need strength against temptation, and all of these things are true, but these things are the result of fresh encounters with Jesus. If you have a fresh encounter with Jesus, you get everything else. You get renewal, you get vision, you get strength, you get the capacity to resist temptation, but without a fresh encounter with Jesus everything else is just mechanics and it's a matter of time before you burn down before you burn out you have to have fresh encounters with Jesus there's a story about a lumberjack and it was his first day on the job and he was a big guy a strong guy and this was the days before uh you know power saws and he started early that morning with all the other lumberjacks and he set a company record I mean he set he cut down 50 trees And the next day he said, I'm going to cut down even more trees. So he started earlier, and he worked later, and he cut down ten trees. Well, he was frustrated. So he said, I'm going to start even earlier, work even later, and work even harder. And he cut down two trees. And he was exasperated, and he thought, what's the deal? And then his boss said, well, have you been sharpening your axe head every morning? And he said, Oh, no, that must be it. And in the same way, the law of diminishing return settles in for followers of Jesus Christ. That's an economic term. It means the more energy that's expended on something, the, the less results, the less fruit, the less dividends you experience. It's the law of diminishing return. Expend more energy. Receive less dividends. Never is this principle so true than in ministry, than loving Jesus, reaching out to the world, ministering in the body of Christ. Never is the law of diminishing return so evident than when we don't have fresh encounters with Jesus. The axe head is dull. The greatest thing that we can do every day is to seek the face of God for a fresh encounter with Christ. Every day, we need to seek Him. Every day, we need to seek His face and hear His voice and be comforted by His presence. Every single day. It doesn't matter if two years ago, you received the Holy Spirit, were baptized, speaking in tongues, slain in the Spirit, and a hundred people got saved just by looking at you. That was great for that day. Today requires its own fresh anointing as a result of a fresh encounter with Jesus. And you have not had fresh encounters with Jesus if you have not been seeking the face of God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with a passion. As David said, there's nothing else in this world. My heart desires you. Throughout the book of Acts, Paul felt like quitting many times. No doubt about it. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Right there, most of us would say, well, forget it already. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. That was brutal, guys. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. And again, we would say, if we hadn't already, well, forget it already. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false bre- believers. Paul goes on, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. You better believe he felt like giving up. You better believe he felt discouraged. And yet, he remained solid as a rock. And yet, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. How? Because Paul had fresh encounters with Jesus that empowered him to continue on. Paul's salvation was a mountaintop experience. I mean, he saw Jesus a blinding light on the road to Damascus, and he heard the voice, and that was incredible. But throughout his entire ministry, Jesus continued to give him fresh encounters, and those fresh encounters were the fuel that enabled him not to grow weary and not to lose heart and not to lose his focus. One such encounter, and the Lord spoke to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you. Don't you know that meant everything to Paul? There was again, it looked like Paul was going to lose his life when he came back to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey. In Acts 23, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. I'm with you. You'll testify in Rome. There was one time that Paul's sickness and his infirmities were so overbearing to him. And the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. We don't know what that thorn in the flesh was, but we know that that word from the Lord gave Paul all the strength he needed to carry on And then again, Paul said, I know a man, and he's speaking in third person to try to remain humble, in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or the spirit, I don't know. God knows. God allowed the Apostle Paul to see the throne room of God. These fresh encounters enabled him to continue on. I remember the very first year that we started Hope Works; It was a tough year. It was more difficult than I anticipated. And I needed to hear a word from the Lord. And I said, Lord, I heard you speak the name HopeWorks. I just need, to, I need you to speak my name. And it was about 3 a.m. And the same voice I heard HopeWorks. I heard shame. You know what? That renewed my heart. All the vision, all the strength I needed to resist temptation, all the, the tenderness in my heart I needed to love people came out of that fresh encounter with Jesus. Have you had a fresh encounter with Jesus lately? If you haven't, your statistic waiting to happen, if not already, how can I have a fresh encounter? One, you have to receive the grace of God, the grace of God that just washes over you and you realize that you are forgiven and you are righteous in His sight. You are clothed with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. He loves you with an everlasting love. Have you received His grace lately? And then, you have to surrender something in your pursuit of holiness. We have to give up something in order to go up. In order for God to use you, you don't have to be well-educated. You don't have to be well-spoken. You don't have to be even well-liked. You don't have to be polished. You don't even have to be good-looking. All you have to be is a clean vessel. We've got to give up something in this world in order to go up in our holiness, in our pursuit of Jesus Christ. And as we go up, as we continually surrender to go up, to seek God, to know God, becoming holier and holier in our walk, God will use us more and more and more. Thirdly, we have to develop a hunger for the Word of God. In order to be a healthy Christian, this is a trivial pursuit question for you. In order to be a healthy Christian... How often do you need to read the Bible? Daily. Daily. The Bible says, daily, I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Every day, we have to be in the Word of God. And I'm not talking about you've got this Bible app that just gives you an encouraging verse of the day, and so you post it to your Facebook profile, so all in one, you knock out your time with the Lord and your ministry. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you got a real word that's marked up, and when God speaks to you, you highlight it, you underline it, you memorize it. It's the Word of God, It's it's, it's the sword of the Spirit, it fits in your hand, it's so secure to you that you want to sleep with it. And you want to hold it close. And when you wake up, you feel secure that you still have it. And if you forget your cell phone in the car, you don't even think about it. But you have your word with you. And you feel more insecure without your word than your cell phone. And you're in the word every day. If you are not in the word every day, you are not going to have fresh encounters with Jesus. And if you're not already a statistic, you are going to be a statistic. Yeah, we can praise Jesus. Put your hands together. Next, you must be dependent upon Jesus through prayer. All throughout the day, practice the presence of God so that you're communing with Jesus, depending on Jesus, leaning on Jesus. And then worship Jesus with all of your heart. David said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God, amongst the people of God, than a king, This is a holy place. This is a sanctified place when the people of God come together. And if there's not an energy in your heart, if there's not a joy in your heart, if there's not an expectancy in your heart, I wonder if you've made the assembly of the believers something other than an encounter, a fresh encounter with Jesus, because you have a heart to worship Christ with everything that you have. If it's become anything else, you're a statistic waiting to happen if you're not already a statistic. Isaiah chapter 6. Lisa, please come on up. And Audrey, thank you. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah had a fresh encounter with God. And through this fresh encounter, he had everything that he needed. He had increased holiness. He had resistance against temptation. He had a fresh perspective on the world as God sees it. He had, he had vision. He had divine strength. He didn't seek all these things, which he desperately needed. He had encouragement from his depression and despair because uh, this king just died. Everybody's security was shaken. King Uzziah just died. He needed so many things in order to continue on. But it all came in the package of this one thing, a fresh encounter with God. So you guys go ahead and begin playing that. And we're going to read what's happening in the throne of heaven right now. And then we are going to join in. We're going to join in with the host of heaven. You know, this scene that I'm about to read, what Isaiah saw in 700 B.C., was the exact scene that John the Revelator saw in about 90 A.D., and he wrote about it in Revelation. This scene has been going on for eternity past, eternity future. It's what's happening right now. Your loved ones that have gone on in in heaven, the, the, the sheer glory of it, they're trying to take it in, they're trying to absorb it all right now and it is so holy, it is so awesome it is so glorious, it is so splendorous it is so worship evoking it, it, it's awe inspiring uh, 10,000 of the greatest poets could never put it into words not even a sentence it's, here it is in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord seated upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his road filled the temple above him stood the seraphim Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And in honor of the king, stand with me for a moment. And one called to one another and said, now these creatures who were created for the sole purpose of worshiping Jesus Christ infinitely more intelligent than Einstein, infinitely more uh, poetic than Shakespeare, infinitely more eloquent than Martin Luther King Jr., they got stumbled up on this one word, holy night and day for all of eternity and this is happening right now around the throne room of the lamb who was slain and risen again holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and at the foundations and at that the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke it's the glory of jesus and i said woe is me for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For I, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand with the burn, he had a burning coal he took from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. This is the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, 700 B.C. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and say this to the people. I, I, Isaiah needed strength. Isaiah needed security. Isaiah needed resistance against temptation. Isaiah needed fresh vision. I, Isaiah needed joy. Isaiah needed to transcend what was going on in this world. And all of that came from a fresh encounter with God. I'm not saying you get saved again. We're saved once. But throughout our sanctification, as we're sojourners, through this world, as we're pilgrims, as we're aliens, as we're strangers, as we're buffeted by the waves, in order to continue on and not become a statistic, we have got to have fresh encounters with Jesus. Everything that you need flows out of that. So let's just enter in with the host of heaven and sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Father, we commit to fresh encounters with you because you are holy, you are life, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The second reason they did not grow weary and give up is because they were focused on encouraging exchanges with each other. They were focused on encouraging exchanges with each other. We need to make it a point to really deeply minister to everybody around here because everybody around here is getting attacked hard. There are four distractions spiritual leaders face. One, loneliness. If you take the mantle of spiritual leadership, there is immediately a burden that settles in upon your shoulders called loneliness. Seventy percent of pastors surveyed said they do not have somebody in their life that they consider a close friend. Second is stress. Ninety percent of pastors surveyed uh, said that Uh, They work more than 50 hours a week, 80 percent said that ministry negatively affects their family. 33% said ministry is a flat out hazard to their family. 75% of pastors report that significant stress related crisis at least once in their ministry. 40% report a serious conflict with the parishioner at least once a month. The third reason many ministers, this these are pastors surveyed but these principles apply to ministry leaders or anybody serving in ministry. The third uh, uh, distraction for spiritual leaders are feelings of inadequacy. 50% of ministries, ministry leaders feel unable to meet the demands of the ministry. 90% feel inadequately trained. 70% say that they have a lower self-esteem now than when they first began the ministry. And then the fourth distraction for spiritual leaders is spiritual warfare. And they get hit hard. You pick up the mantle of leadership, you commit to being an encourager to saints, and you're going to be hit even harder in spiritual warfare. One pastor who served both in the business world and in the, in the, in the church world, uh, he started a church, and it's a, just a thriving church in Chicago, wrote about spiritual leadership. That um, spiritual leadership is the most leadership-intensive enterprise in society, more difficult than leading in business. The work of the church is building up and redeeming lives an intangible process. The workers are all volunteers who can simply leave when disciplined or called to commitment, and each individual life that God calls the leader to reach must be met in a unique way. There's no mass production in the church. Even when recruiting workers, the church leaders can't offer monetary incentives or benefits. The best that we can do is promise work without pay, time away from families, and if things go according to Scripture, suffering is part of their reward. And that's true, which is why we have so many encouragements throughout Scripture and so many commands throughout Scripture to encourage one another. This is a review from last week. Listen to some of the examples to encourage, and I'm going to review. They rejoiced and began to encourage them with the resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Uh, Acts 14, 22. they returned, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Judas and Silas, two prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Acts 16, so they went to the prison, and when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them when they came out of prison. Uh, they, the brothers encouraged Paul. Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, and then commands to encourage, therefore encourage one another and build one another up. And we urge you, encourage the faint-hearted, then their hearts, that their hearts, hearts may be encouraged. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that he may encourage your heart, but exhort one another every day, and then not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So you get the idea that if we're not actively encouraging one another, we're not truly following the footsteps of Christ. If our goal is to simply show up and go to church or go to a group because we are supposed to go to church or go to a group, we are seriously missing the whole point. We are to show up with the heart to encourage one another and we have a testimony about how far encouragement can go and how important it is so would you welcome Kylie Martin Kylie and Michael have been coming out to HopeWorks for some time. An incredible couple and and they serve and lead the, the, the cleaning team around here and many other things. And uh, They're faithful in the home group, but she has a, a word for you. Good
1: morning. So, um, Michael and I started coming here about five years ago and um, it wasn't by chance. We had been praying for a church and uh, long story short, we were married before and got remarried and we didn't want to, you know, fall back to a lot of the things we went through before. And um, so we were praying for a church. We wanted to get make sure we were in line with God and, and making Him center of our life. And so we were driving by this church, and we met Michael Gonzalez in the parking lot. And we started talking to him about the vision of the church and, you know— um, what their outreaches were and stuff, and we just really felt led to come here. So um, we had come that Sunday, and even though we haven't been actively given in the church, um, we were still given the offering to someone or something. And um, so I talked to Michael that morning, and I'm like, you know, should we just go ahead and put our offering in this church? And he's like, let's just um, wait and see what happens. And so um, one of the things that was important to Michael was— kind of reaching out to the homeless and helping people, and um, one specific thing that he mentioned was maybe they would need money for the building. Well, um, when we were sitting in service that day, they were starting to renovate the youth room downstairs, and they were asking for a love offering for paint and, you know, hardware stuff to, to do what they needed to downstairs. And so, instantly God had spoken to us, you know, I mean, it was just amazing but um, for me, I uh, went through a real tough time through another church and have had a hard time getting close to people, and, and so I've really, I feel a lot like Jacob when he wrestled with God, and even though I felt like this is where I needed to be, it was just, it was a struggle. And um, the the other big impact of encouragement here was we were trying desperately to get pregnant, and it had been over between the The two times we've been married, 10 years, and um, a doctor told us that we probably wouldn't be able to have a baby. And so, you know, people here started praying with us and encouraging us, don't give up, don't be angry with God. And we have a four-year-old daughter now. And, um, you know, so that was really encouraging. (laughs) And, you know, you would think that would have been enough for me to say, okay, God, this is where you need me, but it wasn't. And I kept fighting and kept finding excuses not to show up. We wouldn't come for a few weeks. And out of the blue, we get a text message from Shane. Hi, Martins. I hope you are at church on Sunday. And I'm like, okay, I guess, you know, we need to go to church on Sunday. And um, so this has been going on and on. And, you know, I would find excuses. My heart's broken. I don't want to let myself get close to people, but they were all excuses. And, you know... This um, past year, um, my dad died in July, and um, two nights before he died, I was so angry, just, just incredibly angry, and I was crying. And Michael's like, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" And I said, "I do not want to go to Hope Berkeley anymore. I do not want to go to that church." And he's like, "Okay, um, we can go visit some other churches, you know." And I don't know why I was so angry. Um, I think a lot of it was the battle with God and myself, and God wanting to use us, but I wasn't ready to let go. And um, So two days later my dad died, and um, I messaged Shane and told him and a couple of the women in the church, and we got so much support and encouragement from here, and um, you know the they provided the food for after the service and I finally just surrendered and um know that you know this is where God wants us and it's been an incredible peace in my heart and I was meditating on this last night and the scripture came to my mind about hope works and I wanted to share it with you it's second Corinthians 12 24 through 26 or 25 through 26 So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And um, that's hope works for you, because no matter what you're going through around here, this family pulls together, and I think God gives this church an A-plus in encouragement.
0: Thank you so much, Kylie. Notice she didn't say, you know what? That's our church family because of the preaching. That's our church family because of the worship. That's our church family because it's a beautiful building. No. No. That's our church family because of the love and the encouragement that we received from the body. The early disciples... Didn't give up. Paul didn't give up because they were focused on fresh encounters with Jesus. Without that pursuit, your statistic waiting to happen. They didn't give up because of, because of encouraging exchanges with each other. Without that pursuit, your statistic waiting to happen. Thirdly, they did not give up because of a passion for souls. They did not give up because of a passion for souls. Christianity is not an insurance ticket that provides eternal life. Rather, it's a personal relationship with a leader who wants you to follow Him and not go your own way. He wants you to devote your life to Him as a knight would be completely devoted to His King. Which is why Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's a story about a blackout one night in a horrible storm, and the lights went out. So, a man opened up his closet to light a candle. And he knew where the candles were. And so, when he opened up the closet, and he started to grab one candle, and the candle said, Wait, not me. And the man jumped back because he was scared the candle was talking to him. And he saw a little wax face in the candle. And the man said, I'm not prepared to shine. I'm afraid that distorted light. If I don't give out light properly, it'll confuse people and they'll trip. And he said, "Okay, there's other candles in here." And then about four or five other candles said, "We're not going either." And this one candle said, "Yeah, I I can't leave yet. I'm still studying and meditating on the importance of light." And so he went for the, you know, the, the real, the short, round ones. And so he said, "Okay, I'll get this one." And that one said, "I'm not going either. I'm not stable enough to shine." And this other candle, you know, the tall, slender one said, I can't go either because I've got to sing to all the other candles to encourage them to burn more brightly. And then they all began singing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And the man closed the door and just thought, what a bizarre scene. How much more bizarre when Christians in the body of Christ meet together and we sing songs, but then we leave and we say, I don't want to shine for whatever reason. Listen to this true story that was reported in the, the uh, um, New York Times. This occurred in New Orleans, a guest at a life, a guest at a party for lifeguards, celebrating their first drowning-free se- swimming season in memory, drowned Tuesday. The director of the New Orleans Recreation Department reported. Madeline Richard, the department director said the body of Jerome Moody was found on the bottom of the deep and the deep end of a department pool as the party ended. He was 31 years old. There were four lifeguards on duty. Four lifeguards on duty at a party of lifeguards celebrating a drowning-free season and somebody drowned. Is that tragic? Is that not ironic? How much more ironic when there's people all around this community who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who are drowning in their sins, who are drowning in eternal lostness, who are drowning without God. We are the lifeguards. Is our assembly a party or are we a rescue mission? And are we on duty or not? How are we on duty? How do we go after lost souls? One, shine for Jesus everywhere. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they, asked, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. When we're seeking fresh encounters with God, there's something about us that's different and it's unique, and people want what, ha- what we have. We have to first and foremost be shiny saints in order to be effective lifeguards. So we have one more testimony. Uh, Patrick, could you come up? Would you guys please give it up for Patrick? This is an encouragement to you to be a shiny saint wherever you're at. Patrick, come on over. Patrick is a great friend of mine. He uh, he and his, his his grandmother, Alta, lead on Thursday night home group. And Patrick texted me this, and I said, you know, Patrick, could you share this Sunday?
2: All right. Well, you know, uh, I've been struggling like last week, you know, uh, just being down, you know. And like, uh, you know, right now I'm doing overnights in jail at... Uh, you know, in Cleburne because of a DWI, you know, and so like I've just been kind of down, you know, like I wake up at 4.30 in the morning at jail, leave, get home, change clothes, take a shower, like 15 minutes later, I got to leave for work, you know, I come back and got 30 minutes and then I got to be back down there, you know, and so I've just been, you know, I said while I'm there, I'm just gonna read, you know, just really, God's giving me a fire just to read the word, you know, like, so I've in the last month, I've read like seven or eight books, you know, and you know, and, and so I've been, you know, sharing a little bit with some of the other people that are in jail with me, you know, I'm just been praying like God just use me somehow, you know, and and there were some guys talking about the Holy Spirit the other day and I walked up and I was just standing there and it's like timidity and just came over me, you know, and then I went back to my bunk and, and you know, I was just kind of down. I was like, I have nothing to add to that, you know, that story, you know, that conversation and so I just started reading in the word and it was in Matthew and it was saying, I uh, it's something like when when you get arrested, don't be worried about what you're gonna say for when the time comes. Open your mouth and I will fill it, you know. And so, a few nights later, I was uh, talking to another guy, you know, about just being sober and you know sharing a little bit about Jesus with him. And one of the guards came and was like sitting behind me, you know. And I was like, he's kind of a jerk guard, you know. And and uh, you know, so I'm like, is this brother like? trying to listen to my story you know and so anyway i, I we get, I get done talking to him and i and i get up to go back to my bunk and it's like god stopped me and you know and i said okay well so i just turned back around and went and sat down at the uh back of the tables and opened the bible to read it and you know like about 30 seconds later that guard came up you know and he said uh he said what are you what are you reading there and i said the bible he's like well i know it's and he's you know normally a jerk you know like yelling at people and cussing and you know you don't like it you know bowing up and 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 he was real calm and you know and he just said you know and i said the bible and he says i know the bible what part of the bible and i said matthew about you know feeding the five thousand and he was and he just started asking me questions you know he said that he had been raised in you know pentecostal now this girl that he's dating is baptist and uh You know, he has a problem because the Bible's been translated so many times. And what did, you know, and I just said, look, man, you know, like, I understand where you're coming from. It used to be a problem of mine. And then, you know, I just, I said, you know, I feel like that God created everything and runs everything and he's not going to let his word get, you know, there might be a word or two here or there that means something a little different, but the same jest is going to come across. God's going to let his word get, you know, distorted and he just, you know, just asking me questions over questions, and I was just able to encourage him, and I said, look, man, you know, just, I've been exactly where you are, and and I felt like God told me not to, you know, just believe what my parents believe, or my grandparents believe, or this or that, to study the word myself, and, you know, and I just talked to him, and he said, well, has God been talking to you? And I said, man, God's been explaining so much." you know, I was just able to, Share with him, you know, and, and, you know, at the very end, he's like, Man, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, I mean, about eight thank yous. And then, you know, I got up and went to bed. And I mean, I went to my bed and I was like crying. You know, I was like, Man, I just couldn't believe that God had used me. You know, I mean, like someone who's sitting in jail for a DWI that, you know, I'm down because I don't get to hang out with the youth or lead the home group or this or that, you know, and God still just, you know, I opened my mouth and his words came out, you know, and it was just, it was just amazing to me, you know? So anyway, that's, that's all I got. What a
0: great word, isn't it? We have to shine for everyone everywhere. And then we have to be led by the Holy Spirit. You know, Patrick was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So we'd go here or go there yesterday I was studying for this sermon and I was studying on fresh encounters with Jesus and I thought I can't study on fresh encounters with Jesus without seeking a fresh encounter with Jesus and something in my spirit said go to bimbrook Lake and just pray there's a spot I go and I went and there's this lady walking around and I noticed but I didn't say anything but something in my spirit said maybe that's why I'm there and she came up and introduced herself to me And we started talking. I told her as a pastor, I was just here praying, spending time with the Lord. Got to minister to her a little bit, invited her to church. But uh, that's what evangelism is. It's it's, it's being ambidextrous. It's not being mechanical. I have to do this, this, and this. It's seeking Jesus, being filled up with Jesus, having a heart to lead people to eternal life. And then being sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to go this way or that way. And then we have to pray to have the heart for lost souls. Listen to what Paul wrote when I'm about to read, when I read what I'm about to read, you're going to understand why he didn't grow weary. Incidentally, do you guys want to know what the number one sin is that sidelines Christians from ministry, that sidelines Christians from the church? You would think it might be like drug addiction or some sexual sin. No. The number one sin that sidelines Christians from ministry, Offense. They were offended. That's it. But see, through fresh encounters with Jesus, all that stuff falls by the wayside because you are captivated by Christ and you're a knight who wants to follow their king. When you're committed to fresh exchanges of encouragement with one another, all that stuff falls by the wayside because it's not about you. It's about Christ and encouraging His body and building up the body of Christ. And then when you have a passion for lost souls... You better believe all of that stuff falls by the wayside. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a pearl of great price in a field. And so he said he sold everything he had to buy the field. What is that? That's somebody who's willing to give everything they have for the treasures and the riches of the kingdom of heaven to spread it. Now listen to this heart that Paul had for for souls. And let me ask you, is this your heart? And I have to admit to you, this is not my heart. But I desperately want this to be my heart and I I, I hope that even if this isn't your heart you want this to be your heart Paul wrote in Romans I am telling the truth in Christ I am not lying my conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were cursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh Paul would have rather been damned in hell if that could have bridged his people into a relationship with Jesus Christ that's an anguish of heart, Moses had that it's been said if God and Moses were ever mad at Israel on the same day, Israel would have been wiped out. They sort of balanced each other. And one time God was saying, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses said, oh no, God, blot me out of your book. But not your people. If you blot your people out, blot me out too. Oh, that we would have that heart. That we would have anguish of heart for people who don't know Christ. And then forth. Seize the moment. The last chapter of the book of Acts has not been written. We are living it out. But when we look at ISIS and when we look at political corruption and scandals and when we look at ungodly decisions coming down from the Supreme Court and we look at the hatefulness and we look at the financial despair and we look at the loneliness and we look at the drug addictions we look at everything on the international scale to everything on a local scale how dark things are. What can one person do? Really, what can one person do? There's a story of a man and his son walking along a beach that uh, thousands of starfish washed up on this beach. And there were hundreds of clusters, there's a cluster of hundreds of beaches in this vicinity. And the man walked and he bent down, he picked up a starfish, he threw it in. He continued to walk, he picked up another starfish and he threw it in. And a skeptical onlooker said, all these beaches, all these starfish, do you really think you're making a difference? And he picked up another starfish and he threw it in. And he said, it made a difference to that one. We can make a difference one life at a time. And the life that we reach is an answer to prayer to some mama or some grandmother who's been praying for their son or grandson for decades. The life that we reach is an answer to prayer to somebody who's, who's praying in complete despair, who's on the verge of giving up. And they prayed perhaps just last night, God, if you're there, show me that you're real. Can make a difference in the life of one. And then all of us together, making a difference in the life of one, will impact a community. And then all of us together will impact a city. It's called a revival. And then all of us together will impact the country. And then all of us together will impact a world. It's happened before. Throughout history, it's called the First Great Awakening. It's called the Second Great Awakening. Before that, it was called Pentecost. It can happen again. It's God's will. He just needs a group of people who are willing to reach out to one person. Would you stand with me, please? Let me ask you this Are you a statistic? And you know what? You don't have to be. Your sluggish heart can be rekindled right now. You don't have to be. But you do have to commit to having a focus on fresh encounters with Jesus Christ. You do have to commit to having a focus on encouraging exchanges with one another. And you do have to commit to having a focus for a passion for souls. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Are you willing to commit to that? Will you commit to passionate, fresh encounters with Christ? Will you commit to encouraging exchanges with each other? That's what the church is about. Would you commit to, as a team, having a passion for souls? Would you commit to bringing even one soul or one family or commit to lining up a whole pew of people next Sunday as we're all fasting and praying for the kingdom of heaven to be expanded? If you would commit to that, in fact, not just one of it or a little of it, but if you'd commit to all of it, a fresh encounter with Jesus Christ today, and then tomorrow after that, and then the next day after that, if you would commit to fresh encounters with Jesus Christ, if you would commit to encouraging exchanges with one another, and if you would commit to a passion for souls, and filling up a pew even with somebody who needs Christ, I don't know of a more loving environment that you could bring a church to. I don't know of a less country club church that you could bring a soul to. I don't know of a more spirit-filled place that you could bring a soul to. I I don't know of a more truth-honoring, gospel-preaching place that you could bring a soul to. But if you would commit to that, would you raise your hand high? Okay, keep your hand up. Father, you see these hands, you see these commitments, and we pray that we would be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, that we would be knights in shining armor following our King. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just respond with a moment with worship and consecrating our whole heart to Christ, worshiping Him with with everything that we have, seeking His face, and then I'll come up and give us a prayer, and we'll be dismissed into the mission field. Oh God, you have transformed communities before. You have transformed cities before. You have transformed nations before through revivals. Because you had a group of people who were willing to pray, who were willing to repent, who were willing to, in holiness, through the grace of God, seek your face for fresh encounters with you. You had a group of people who were committed to encouraging one another. And who didn't show up to do tasks and responsibilities, but they were fiercely committed to encouraging exchanges. And you had a group of people who were passionate for souls, like Paul wrote, a group of people who would rather their own names be blotted out from the book of life in order to lead a community to you. God, give us that heart. In Jesus' name, give us that heart by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that one week from today would reflect that as many people are added into your kingdom. To you be the glory. We pray that we would not be a campfire where we sit around and sing Kumbaya and have goosebumps. We pray that we would be a wildfire. Saints who are willing to be consumed by your Holy Spirit. Saints who are willing for their entire lives to be burned until nothing of them remains and it's only your Spirit's consuming fire that shines through them so that an entire community cannot help but see the life and the light that shines through us. In Jesus' name, make us that people starting today. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed and you are entering the mission field.